Good morning, church. Great to see you. Hope you're well. Hope you can stay for the uh, picnic afterwards. We're going to have a good time. Lots of fun. Welcome to everyone over in the sanctuary this morning. Always glad to have you. Glad you're in worship with us today. There was a group of men who were trying to take a measurement of a flagpole. It was difficult to steady the ladder on the pole. You know, it was just kind of awkward, and the guys were underneath it. And one guy finally got up to the top of the pole, but then he dropped the measuring uh, tape. And a woman was observing all this, so she just walked into the middle of it, and she pulled the pole up and laid it down on the ground and measured the pole, called out the measurement, laid the tape down, and walked away. Well, after she was out of earshot, one of the guys said, isn't that just like a woman? We wanted to get the height of the pole, and she gave us the length. <laughs> Sometimes we don't connect, do we? Sometimes we don't communicate clearly. Today I want to talk about marriage in particular in the context of Paul's teachings in Ephesians chapter 5. And I, I want you to tune in today because if I had the power to give you one principle that you would believe and practice in your marriage, this would be the one I'd give you. And so I hope it will be meaningful to you and add value to your relationships as you have your Bibles with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't, we'll project these words on the screen for you. Ephesians 5, I'm going to read for us verses 21 to 33. Now, the Apostle Paul is the author here, and he's not only a brilliant theologian, but he's also a brilliant author. And every good author knows that the best way to communicate is to give a general statement, a foundational statement, and then underpin that statement with illustrations and examples in the subsequent writing. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here in Ephesians 5. The summary statement is Ephesians 5.21, and then examples follow. And so I hope that uh, we can embrace this concept, understand the, the construct of the, of the literature here, and really gain value from it. So as you make your way to Ephesians 5, I'm going to begin reading at verse 21. I'll invite you to stand as you're able to hear God's word. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For example, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, for example, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, if you have your Bibles open right now, the rest of Ephesians, in fact, uh, all of the rest of this book are illustrations, application of this one primary principle of submit yourselves one to another in reverence to Christ, and so we see wives, for example, husbands, for example, and now in verse 1 of chapter 6, we see children. 
For example, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And it goes on like that as Paul under, undergirds this basic principle of submitting to one another. May God give us insight into this important truth. You uh, may be seated. Thanks so much. When you hear the word submission or submit, it evokes all kinds of response. Uh, women get angry. Men tend to gloat. The rest of us get confused. And it's because, it's because we misapprehend, miscomprehend what the true meaning, the biblical meaning of submission really is. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Let's assume that we are all part of a Ball State course in the literature today. This is uh, 18th century European literature. And the professor asks us to turn in a term paper at the end of the term, 15 pages or so, double space with bibliography. Now, here's what, here's what you can do. You can research that paper. You can collate the information. You can write the paper. You can uh, complete the bibliography. You can have it all prepared. But on the day that it's due, you can still fail the assignment if you simply refuse to turn it in. If you, even if the paper's prepared and ready, but you don't submit it to the professor, you'll still fail the assignment. So let's try to imagine, try to put into context the whole concept of submission into the idea of giving. If I don't give the professor my term paper, I will fail the assignment. Submission is about giving. Let me, let me give you the Paris paraphrase of Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another in reverence to Christ. Here's another way to think of it. Give yourselves to one another the same way you give yourselves to God. Give yourselves to one another the same way you give yourselves to God. So wives, give yourselves to your husbands just as if Christ dwelled in him. Husbands, Give yourselves to your wives the way Christ gave himself for the church. So let's talk about submission as giving so that we can perhaps comprehend it better and make the application in our marriages. First point, it's on your outline. I want you to write these, uh, fill in the blanks. I want you to get this. The first point is this, the meaning of submission. Biblical submission is the giving one to another in mutual understanding and the fear of God. Submission, then, is a word that implies relationship. It is a word that implies love. It implies giving and sacrifice for one another. The concept of giving is not new to Christianity. I mean, it's fundamental to our faith. God gave his son. Christ gave himself. We give ourselves to one another in relationships. So the idea of giving, not taking, not receiving, but the idea of giving is fundamental to relationship. The first burden of giving then rests with us in the context of marriage. A man assumes the head of the household the same way Christ assumed headship of the church. The, the way Christ assumed headship of the church is through love and sacrifice and giving of himself. And so God elevated him through that giving. Uh, let's illustrate a man and a wife in counseling. They're constantly arguing. And the counselor asks the wife to give an example of something they're, they're in contention about. She said, great. Uh, for example, we just bought a new car. We have a new car in the family. My husband drives the new car. 
And I and the children are left with our second car, which is not always reliable. And so I'm moving the kids around town. And sometimes it breaks down. It's frustrating. So I've asked my husband if we could buy a better second car. And he says that we cannot afford a better second car right now. Uh, a car is a depreciating asset, and we shouldn't borrow more money, and we should wait until we could pay cash for it. And so therefore, the answer is no, we can't buy a better second car. So the, the counselor wisely then turns to the wife and says, well, then your husband has made a decision about the second car, and so you should give in to his perception of this decision, submit to his, his idea, and live with the fact you're not going to buy a better second car right now. And while she's contemplating that, the counselor then wisely turns to the husband and says, and you, sir, need to give the new car to your wife and your children, and you drive the unreliable second car. See, the husband was willing for the wife to pay the price for the unreliable transportation, but not willing to submit or to give in order to accommodate his wife's needs. She perceived it for what it really was, selfishness on his part. So can you, can you hear the principle? Marriage ought to be a race to see who can outbless the other person. You drive the new car. No, no, you really need it with the kids. I insist you drive the new car. No, really, it's important for your business and, and for your work. You should drive the new car. No, really, I want to give you the opportunity to drive the new car. Marriage should be a race to see who can outgive, who can outbless the other. Jesus best demonstrated this whole notion of giving and submission when he wrapped a towel around his waist and began to wash the feet of his disciples. There it was on display. So stop looking for ways to get your goals, your dreams, your ideas, your hopes, your needs met and start loving your spouse by giving and serving and submitting and meeting the needs of the other. You've been waiting for hunting season. You have geared up. You are ready. And you're going to get yourself the best buck you've ever killed. And so it's, it's, it's an opportunity for you. And you wake up on the day that's been on your calendar for months. And you are excited about the hunting trip. And you're on the way out the door. And you've hardly noticed the fact that there's been an ice storm. And the electricity is off. And the house has become cold. And school has been canceled. And your wife has left home alone in this cold house with these kids. And she says to you as you're headed out the door, you know, it might be a good idea maybe for you to stay home today and help out around here. But you've had plans. And, and you're on your way out. And there's nothing going to dissuade you from this hunting trip. You're going to get in the woods. And she insists that you stay at least for a while to help secure the home and warm it up somehow and that sort of thing. And on the way out, you just drop the the Ephesians 5.22 bomb on her and by saying, hey, wives, submit to your husbands. I'm going hunting. Yeah, how many of you know that dog won't hunt? It just won't work that way. Submission is about giving. It's about serving. It's about loving. It's about preferring the other. It's about protecting. Listen, your spouse is finding it hard to give you what you need because you're not receiving what they're not receiving what they need. She can't give because she's not receiving. So submission recognizes relationship. It's not about subjectionism or giving up your individual God-given role in the home. It's about giving. It's about being crucified to our own needs and desires so that we might come alive to the needs of our spouse. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful expression of love. It's very, very important. We see this in missions occasionally. I've noticed this from time to time over the years. 
we see missionaries who are not happy about the whole call of God on their lives. You know, as I'm talking about this subject right now, there are men in this room, husbands in this room going, I don't think I'm going to do that. Wives in this room saying, not in my life. And so there's, there's, a, there's an attitude, there's a resistance to it, to this whole notion of giving and preferring the other in mutual submission. But I see this in other sense of call. Some people get called to the mission field, and they're not really happy about it. Well, we're called, we're called to go to Africa, I guess. What's well, not really our idea. We don't like Africa. We don't love Africans. But we'll go, and we'll probably hate it. No doubt one of our children will die of malaria, but, you know, off we go. Listen, that's the wrong attitude. We should respond to the call of God as if it were our idea. We should receive it joyfully and enter into it as something that's good and meaningful and beneficial to our lives. That's the same attitude that we should bring to the idea of submission and giving in relationship. In marriage, there's an argument that occurs in the morning. And it got pretty heated. But then the husband goes off to his job as a mechanic. And so he's there working. Now, something you ladies know, but uh, maybe I need to say it out loud. Men have this God-given ability to completely discard all of the details of an argument in about 38 seconds. Bubba goes off to work as a mechanic, and he's not even halfway to work, and he's forgotten all about the argument. Women, on the other hand, have a God-given capacity not only to remember every minute detail of an argument, but she will spend hours and sometimes days nuancing every moment of the argument. So all day she's stewing. She is rehearsing that argument. She is just not happy. And Bubba, he's been working all day, and now he comes home. And he walks in the back door, and there he is standing at the kitchen. And he's got grease from head to toe. He's, you know, up to his elbows. And he stands there, and he says, honey, come and give me a kiss. She thinks, look at him, standing there like he's a Christian, wanting me to come over and give him a kiss. Who does he think I am? And then she says, you know, to herself, all right, I'll show, show him who the Christian is. So she kind of prances over to him, you know, with that attitude on her face and gives him a little perfunctory peck on the cheek. There's your kiss, she says. I wonder what that does for him. Not too much, I don't suppose. Not too much at all. And so, and so, and so what if, what if in that moment she will let go of her resentment and her pride and her pain and for at least that second or two, she will look at what she really has at the doorway of her kitchen. What we have perhaps standing at the doorway of the kitchen is a man who is overwhelmed by life. Think about it. He's put the lady's air conditioner in backwards that day. She yelled at him. Then his boss screamed at him. Then when he finally finished it up, you know, he shut his hand in the hood when he closed it. He feels unworthy. He feels unloved. He feels untouchable. He may actually be longing, internally longing for the day when he could just run home and put his head on his mother's lap and get reassurance from her. See, life in this, in this guy's world has slowly but surely chewed him up into little pieces. 
he, uh, he steps into the kitchen, and what he's doing in that moment is he is turning to the only source of hope and light and life that he has in his life. It's his wife. And he says to her, give me a kiss. What he means is, I feel lonely and afraid, and I'm supposed to act like a man all the time, but I don't always know what that, what that looks like. And what he's really asking is, do you still love me? What if, what if she's heard a sermon from her pastor the previous week, realizing that submission is about giving, and she realizes who she has in front of her for a moment, puts aside her own disappointment, and she walks over to that big guy, grabs him by the ears, bends him over the dining room table, and just rings his bell. What if she does that? Now remember, she's not submitting herself to some alien foreign will. This isn't a burglar that's broken into the house. She's actually submitting to God. She's actually giving in to God and giving to her husband. And her will now becomes their will and God's will in the moment. And she gives herself even though it's not easy for her to do because she knows that's what her husband needs. Now perhaps... Now, ladies, don't get your hopes too high on this one, but maybe he might respond by saying, look, you know, I'm sorry for what I said this morning. Uh, you deserve better than that. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Now, I don't know that, he, that you can expect that. You never know. But you've got a better chance of getting what you need from him if you give him what he needs. Yeah. So this one idea, this one idea that I'm offering right now of mutual submission, mutual giving is crucial to marriage success. And let me just remind you that the opposite of submission, you may think that the opposite of submission is some kind of domination or subjectionism, that, that as the husband, I'm just going to dominate and control and subject you to my will no matter what you think, I'm going I'm to control your life. That's not the opposite of submission and giving. And neither for the woman is the opposite of submission this notion of being rebellious and resistant every time your husband suggests something. That's not the opposite of submission. The opposite of submission, listen now, is to withhold. It's to simply refuse to give what the other needs. So when I, when I am not living in mutual submission, it simply means that I'm not giving. I, I am withholding to the other it's interesting in observing couples that one person is actually willing to withhold what the other person is obviously asking for. You've observed this in your own marriage. I know you felt this kind of moment when, you, when intuitively, women are good at this, you intuit what he really needs, but you won't give it to him. Man comes in and says, how do you think this tie looks on me? And now she has an option. She knows that the world has been harsh to him. That, that he's been told he's old and paunchy and bald, and he's done. Flip him over, he's done. He's on the back side of the hill. <laughs> he's over the hill. And so he comes in and says, what do you think this tie looks? Now, now she has an opportunity there. She can say, well, look, honey, uh, that tie looks fine, but you could tie an old rope around your neck. That, you'd look just as good. You're a handsome guy. Or she can just simply say to him, you know, one tie looks as good as the other. Put on whatever tie you want. I don't care. <laughs> she knows what he needs. 
She knows that he's asking for some kind of affirmation or support or approval. She's, she's written the paper. She did the research. She wrote the paper. She put the bibliography in. She knows what to do. She just won't submit it. She just won't give it. Won't turn it in. So, so when the wife comes in and says, do you think I look fat in this dress? Men who think making little snide comments about their wives' weight will actually motivate them to lose weight? No. No, just the opposite happens. <laughs> you know, if you're sitting in a restaurant and you, you say, you're going to eat that whole piece of pie? <laughs> what she's going to do the next time the waiter comes by says, listen, I'd like another piece of pie and a side of beef to go with it. <laughs> you're not going to motivate her that way. You know, there's, a, there's this cruel little joke that that somehow psychology or humanity uh, plays on us. When we're young and we get married young, the man has this wrong notion that this sweet little shapely thing, firm little thing that he's marrying, he actually believes at 20, 22, 25 years old that she will never change. It's funny that way. It's, just, it's, it's, it's goofy. But men actually believe She's, she looks the way she does right now in our wedding day, and she will never change. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. And women, and women, on the other hand, tell themselves, I know I'm marrying this, 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 rough, this guy with all these rough edges, but I'll shape, put him into shape before long. He'll change, and he'll make lots of big changes. And that's just as deceitful as the notion that the woman won't change. That the, that the father or the husband will change. Whatever you marry, you know, whatever shape Bubba's in when you marry him, it's going to be pretty much that shape 50 years later, only worse. <laughs> and whatever, whatever shape she's in when you marry her, she won't be anything like that. <laughs> but listen, after 20 years and four kids, you know, she's going she's gonna to settle a little bit. And by the way, just remember, it's your fault. You, you caused it. So deal with it. Deal with it. It's just part of the deal. The critical issue in human relationships then is giving. We can talk about marriage. We can talk about family. We can talk about friendships. We can talk about relationship in the body of Christ. We can talk about any important relationship we want to. But the critical issue in all human relationships is giving. And it's absolutely essential in marriage. So the meaning of submission is to give. Now let's talk about the language of submission. We only have two points today. This is the second point. The meaning, the language of submission. One of the mistakes we often make is to assume that everyone thinks and talks and acts like we do. Now listen, I'm, I'm 59 years old. I've been married for 37 years. I've been in pastoral ministry for 36 years. I've made an astonishing discovery. It flies in the face of the prevailing winds of wisdom and the epic writings of contemporary authors on the subject of feminism and other progressive notions. This is one of the great revelations of my life. I want to share it with you this morning. Here it is. Men and women are different. Men and women are different. Now, we are equal. Com we are completely equal. But we are not the same. While we are equal, we are not the same. We are different. We think different, talk 
differently. We perceive the world differently. We emote differently. We relate differently. We don't even speak the same language. For example, a man is in the den watching the football game. The, the Indianapolis Colts are marching down the field against the Philistines with surgical precision. They're on a roll. It's a thing of beauty. It's now fourth down and goal to goal on the one-yard line with 30 seconds to go in the half. And the husband is there, and he is absorbed in the game. He is, he is admiring the uh, offensive efficiency of the Indianapolis Colts. And then the wife, who knows nothing about football or the rules of football or even the nuances of the game, therefore unknowing and completely innocent of the timing of her comment, calls out from the kitchen, will you please take out the garbage? Will you please take out the garbage? She intones. <laughs> now, you men, you're in the room here. I, I appeal to you. You speak male. You're men, you speak male. What does what you've just heard mean to you? What did you hear the woman say? Didn't she say, men, would you... Could I get a witness here? Didn't you hear her say, would you please take out the garbage? Is that what you heard? I mean, that's what I heard. Would you please take out the garbage? And so that's what I thought she said. I mean, how complex can it be? So the man who's listening in mail and talking in mail, he responds to the question, will you please take out the garbage? He just says, 30 seconds to go in the half. 30 seconds to go in the half. Now, sir, with all humility, with, with all sincerity, I ask you, what response did you hear the man give? What did you hear him say? Didn't he say 30 seconds to go in the half? That's what I heard him say, 30 seconds to go in the half. I heard her ask, would you please take out the garbage? He says, 30 seconds to go in the half. Instead, the man hears the storm door on the back porch slam shut. Bam! The man thinks, I wonder what that means. Trash has been in the house all week. What difference could 30 seconds make? The man reasons, perhaps we're not speaking the same language. Perhaps I didn't understand what she said. Here's what she actually said. She was saying, hey, in there. You who can't get your mind off of the Colts, do you still love me? Do you love me more or less than Andrew Luck? And, and with whom do you expect to sleep tonight? <laughs> See, that's all in there. Will you please take out the garbage? So it's not easy to hear, but it's all in there. It goes out of her pretty little mouth, into the air, filtering into the den, into the man's ear, and before God... It sounded to the man like, would you please take out the garbage? But there was a whole bunch of other messages in there. And so he answers 30 seconds to go on the half. Oh, my gosh. And that's how he intended it. But it came out of his mouth, flying through the air, back into the kitchen and into her ear. And, it, and, and before God, it sounded to her like, no, not anymore. And Andrew Luck will do. After 30 years of marriage, George and Martha are in counseling. They're so upset that they have to be placed in separate rooms. Martha's asked about the problem. George doesn't love me anymore. George is asked, Martha says you don't love her anymore. He says, is that woman crazy? I love her more now than when we were married. 
Ask her this. She says, I don't love her. Well, I don't think she loves me anymore. Go ask her that. Counselor says, okay, wait here. I'll go ask her. Martha, it is George that says you don't love him, that you don't love him anymore. Martha says, well, I do love him. My question is, why doesn't he ever tell me anymore? Counselor says, good, wait here. I'll go ask him. George Martha has a very germane question. Why don't you ever tell her you love her? George says, tell her. I tell her all the time. It's like she's deaf. I'll tell you this. She never tells me. Counselor goes back to Martha. Martha, George says you never tell him you love him. And when he tells you he loves you, you act like you're deaf. And when he tries to tell you, you won't listen. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> they're both being truthful. They both believe they're not being told. He's speaking male, but she's speaking female. And so we've got to be careful to learn and speak each other's language. Very important. Now, obviously, we don't have time to teach the entire vocabulary of male and female language this morning. But let me just give you some generalities. Ladies, let's start with you. And in general, what your husband needs. And then we'll get to what women need. But ladies, I want you to write this down. It's on the outline in your bulletin. These four things. Number one, a man needs companionship. Companionship. A man wants a companion. He doesn't want to be alone. What a man oftentimes wants is a woman who will do things with him. And a man's idea of companionship is more recreational than it is social or conversational. He likes you to join him in activities. The things he likes to do, he wants you to go along with him from time to time. He likes the companionship. Number two, he needs from you admiration and respect. Admiration and respect. It is an incredible need of a man to be admired by a woman. Now, ladies... You want to hear the words, I love you, from your husband. You, you love to hear when your husband says to you, I love you. But the words that your husband most wants to hear from you are the words, I am proud of you. I'm proud of you. There's nothing that makes a man stand taller than to see the eyes of his wife twinkle, and she reaches over with the greatest affection and says, I am so proud of you. When that happens, a man is suddenly stamped again as a real man. It does something to a man. From time to time, my wife, who's just great at this, she will, she will take me by the hand usually, you know, usually at the dinner table. She'll take me by the hand, and, and we make eye contact, and, and she will say something to me like this. She will say, I want you to know something. You are a great man. You're a great husband. You're a great father. I'm so proud of you. I hear that. I just have to tell you. It, it, it does something. I, it's hard. You know, my first reaction is, really? You believe that? <laughs> she, then she says, yes. Yes, I do. You are a great man. Well, I walk away from that. Well, I've got to process that. I can't just easily dismiss that. You know, she's just saying that, or, you know, when someone like that says that to me, she, maybe there's some substance to that. So I, and so it just, it, it, it's amazing what it does to my sense of personhood. Admiration and respect is a great need that men have from their wives. Now, here's a third thing, and that is support. Support. Let me just remind you, life is hard. Pressures are real. If, you're, if your man is taking initiative, you know, I've been uh, using this definition of authentic manhood the last few weeks. Reject passivity. Men tend to be passive spiritually and socially. Reject that passivity 
and, and accept responsibility and lead courageously and expect God to bless you. And when a man is taking initiative like that, he needs to know that he's being encouraged and cared for. There needs to be appreciation extended to him. Uh, Beth, Beth does this from time to time in our lives, and we've come to an important juncture in our lives, a crossroads moment. You know, a, a big decision has to be made or a new direction has to be taken. What Beth is really good at doing, and I just I share this as an illustration of how to do this and to do it well. She has from time to time just paused in the same kind of serious moment, and she will say to me, Greg, I want you to know that whatever you decide to do, I'm with you. If you want to do that, I'm with you. If you want to do the other, I'm with you. You have my support. Whatever you decide to do, we will do it together. Now, that doesn't mean that I am I'm the only one who has a say in all this. We process every major decision together, and we always come to a place of unity. But just to know that I have her unequivocal support is, is, a, is a big deal. And women, it matters that you give your husband the support they need. Now, here's the fourth thing. Now, it's number four on the list, but it's actually number one on the priorities. This is actually the most important thing that your husband needs from you, and that is physical responsiveness. Now, ladies, don't, don't tune me out. Listen to me. Men are intensely physical creatures. And I really believe, ladies, that one of the best ways for you to contribute to your husband's overall sense of well-being, not just his physical well-being, but his spiritual connectedness, his psychological balance, his emotional wholeness, his whole person, is, is, is to joyfully enter into the sexual dimension as if it were your idea, your will, your willingness to give yourself as a loving act of submission. This is why husbands really appreciate and value when wives take the initiative in this aspect of your relationship. Now, let me say more about this. In the whole idea of sex as an aspect of giving, it's been misplaced. If sex then becomes just an act of submission, which is to give, we wrongly define what that actually means, especially in long-term marriage relationship. Too often, and this is what culture teaches about sex, that sex is thought of as the culmination of passion. You know, that there, there just has to be passion associated with the sexual act. And, and if that's the standard by which we go through life with our spouse on a long-term basis, then most, most of the experiences we're going to have in a sexual way could be disappointing if it's all about the culmination of passion. Sex actually ought to be the culmination of giving. Sex as the culmination of giving. Now, ladies, to state it simply, the messages your husbands receive in this aspect of your lives is profound. The message you send to him in this area is really significant. It says, I am interested in you, I love and appreciate you, and I am interested in meeting your needs. Not as the culmination of something, you know, the, the, the perfect alignment. You know, every 72 years, the, the asteroid comes by and, and the stars are aligned. And, and so, okay, we can have sex tonight. Not that. The culmination of passion. But rather the culmination of giving. 
the simple act of giving. Well, I'll let you mull that around. Now, let's talk about women for a minute. Men, here's what you should know. Women, while men are relatively simple in their needs and simple in their communication, women, on the other hand, are multilingual. A man's language of love is fairly basic, but women are multilingual. They speak all kinds of different languages, and, and management reserves the right to change languages without prior notification. You can be tracking with your wife just really well, and all of a sudden she, she goes over here, and then you feel lost. I thought we were tracking. Not only does she reserve the right to change direction and change her language on, on a dime, but she expects you to keep up with her. So not only can she do this, but she expects you not to stand here in a stupor, but to go over here with her. It's very challenging. This is not easy. But if you want to communicate love to your wife, you've got to speak her language. You've got to find it. Sometimes she wants practicality. You're sitting at the breakfast table. She says, you know, if you don't hurry up, you're going to be late for work. You just say, look, what's being late for work matter when I'm with you? Let's have another cup of coffee. And I'll tell you what, you go, ready, you go get yourself ready for the trip to the mall, and I'll wash up these dishes this morning. She goes, ah. Huh? So, sometimes she doesn't want practicality. Sometimes she wants romance. Now, Bubba, listen, you can't come home some night and say, honey, good news, I got a season tickets to Ball State football. She will see right through that. Now, she may enjoy Ball State football, but that's not going to minister to her like it would if you went home and said, Honey, good news, I got two tickets to Phantom of the Opera. Now, look, she knows you don't want to go to Phantom of the Opera, but I'll tell you what she'll do. She'll play right along with you, and she'll go, Woohoo, that's great. Phone call in the middle of the afternoon. She says, What do you want? You just say, Look, I just needed to hear your voice. If you'll just say my name, that'll hold me over till I get home tonight. She goes, ah. Sometimes it's a note. Sometimes it's candy, flowers, a poem. Sometimes you just clean the dishes. Sometimes it's a compliment. Sometimes you're watching the kids when it's not required. You speak her language. Men, the language of, of love for women includes these four things. You want to write these down. Bubba. Write these down. I'm trying to help a brother out. If you'll listen, it'll help you. Number one, companionship. It's the same thing with men, only for women it's not recreational. It's conversational and relational. The number one complaint women have in marriage is this. My husband won't talk to me. It's the number one complaint. Women were created by God to be intensely relational creatures. Much of their feeling and sense of well-being is in a relationship that is connected verbally and emotionally to a man. Think of it this way. This is why soap operas and romance novels are about 98% consumed by women because it, it exploits a woman's imagination about a deeply connected relationship. And so they just they absorb these things. Some examples, though, so, so you date your wife. You set a date. You take her out, out for a special evening. You develop a common thing you both enjoy. Maybe you walk together or bo go boating or play tennis or go shopping or garage sailing or whatever it is. You do what she likes to do, and you provide that companionship. So that's the first thing. Here's number two. A woman needs security. Security. 
Now, this is both financial security and relational security. Now, I want everybody to listen real closely to this. A woman needs to know that her man is taking care of her. A woman needs to know that her man is taking care of her. Doesn't that sound like an old-timey statement? You say, come on, pastor. Don't you know there's been a social revolution? This is 2014. You know, get with the game. What do you mean a woman needs to know her man's going to take care of her? Well, hear me out. We know that women have flooded the marketplace, and you, you imagine that, that women can take care of themselves. They don't need some man to take care of them, and you hear that message a lot. Okay, in fact, she can, in a lot of ways, take care of herself. Sometimes a woman out-earns and outworks their husband in significant ways. But here's what I want you guys to hear and listen to carefully. What is true of the workplace is not true for a woman in marriage. A woman can be immensely successful in her career and her profession, but it doesn't change this fundamental need that she has to feel security emanating from her man. A wife needs and wants a man who will care for her and protect her and provide for her, and this is especially true financially. She needs to know that you're making it safe for her to be free to exploit her femininity in all the walks of her life. Not just in the marketplace, but maybe also in the home. So, for example, she may choose to work outside of the home. And if she does, that's great. She may make a great income, and that's great too. But that is not the point of whether she works or not. It shouldn't be the point. The real point is that somewhere along the line, if she chooses to focus on her God-given instincts... To, to develop a career and her talents in that area, she should feel secure enough from you to be able to do that. Or she may want to focus on her God-given instincts of being domestic and to stay home and to build the nest and to raise her children, things like that. And she needs to know that you are supporting her in that as well. So it's not keeping her from doing that because you need the money. She needs to feel secure. Now, here's the third thing that a woman needs, and that is she needs emotional responsiveness. Emotional responsiveness. This is, this is affection. A woman's world is one of deep feelings. John Gray wrote it this way. He said, and I quote, When a man does not object or argue with a woman's feelings, but instead accepts and confirms their validity and listens with empathy as she explores those feelings, a woman will feel truly loved. Now, guys, I just gave you a statement there that will really help you if you'll hear it. In other words, she doesn't need, when she engages a conversation with you, 98% of the time, she doesn't need her problems fixed. She just needs someone to listen and to validate what she's feeling. Beth has become so sophisticated in this, this whole idea of emotional responsiveness, and she knows that I'm so dull and slow about it, that she has developed a strategy so she, even as she's expressing her emotions, she coaches me so that she can get her needs met. So just the other day, she said, you know, I can't, she came home. She said, I had this situation at work today, and there were these clients, and blah, 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 and this started happening. And my instinct is to start fixing it. So she's telling me her problems, and I'm going, if she'll do A, and then B, and then C, that'll all resolve. So on my computer screen, I'm creating a list to fix it. And so she's in the, just the early stages of explaining to me her day, and then she stops and she looks at me and she says, I don't need you to be making me a list. And I go, I know that. <laughs> Under the table, I hit delete. 
So she finishes her story, and I go, yeah, I can understand why that would be frustrating. You know, I don't know, what, what are people thinking? And, and just trying to validate the emotional piece, how she's feeling about that experience. And she needs that. She needs to know that there is someone responding to her at an emotional level. So you have to work at it. These are skills that you have to develop over time. Now, here's, here's the fourth thing, but it, could be, it should be number one. It's actually number one on the list of needs that women have, and it's significance. The number one need of a woman is to know that she's significant. This speaks to appreciation and value. If, if you run a company and you have female employees, say thanks, affirm these women, express appreciation, help people to know their value and their sense of significance. If you're the husband, affirm her significance, regularly telling your wife how much you value what she does and how important she is to you. And let me just say a word quickly to stay-at-home moms, because you guys uh, seem to be on, really on an island in today's culture. A lot of her care, listen, listen, sir, a lot of her care and her role comes from the husband recognizing the significant role she plays in your family. There are no plaques on the wall for being a stay-at-home mom. I mean, you may get a plaque at work, but you're not going to get a plaque for being a stay-at-home mom. There are no dream vacations to the Bahamas because you met a sales quota. There's no pay raises for sewing on a button or entertaining a four-year-old 24-7 or running the carpool day after day or building a science project for a 12-year-old. There's no pay raises for that. All there is in those moments, sir, is you. Use the words. Take her out. Buy her stuff. The more expensive, the better. Affirm her role as the mom who stays home. So love that lasts a lifetime is based on loving and giving and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Give yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Give yourself to one another as you give yourselves to God. This is how you make it in marriage over the long haul. Now, one more thing. In your outline, you'll see a list of five things, five love languages. A guy named Gary Chapman years ago wrote a book, Five Love Languages. Millions and millions, millions and millions and millions and millions of people have learned the five love languages. Most people who go through divorce court cannot tell you what the love language is from their spouse that they're divorcing. If you do not currently know the love language of your spouse, then you should learn that before the end of the day. I didn't use any fill-in-the-blanks here because I didn't want you to miss, miss this. This is something that you should put in your Bible, take home with you, and rehearse it with your spouse today. If you do not know what your wife's love language is in these five, this list of five things, just basic general things, then you should learn that. If you don't know your husband's love language, then you should learn that before the end of the day because... From now on, you can't claim ignorance. I didn't know. I thought I was saying love to her by doing what I was doing. She said I never told her I loved her. She just couldn't hear me. I really did love her. She couldn't hear me. Well, this is how you speak the language that she can hear, that he can hear. And these five things, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Physical touch is not sexual. This is just affection. Affectionate touch, physical touch. I can tell you my wife's two primary love languages out of these five. They are words of affirmation and physical touch. 
So when I say, good job, way to go, thank you for being you, by whatever means I say those words, that helps her receive my love. When I reach for her at the end of a busy day and I just rub her feet or stroke her head or massage her shoulders, she gets it. And I'm really happy about it because it could be receiving gifts and that would cost me a lot. It doesn't cost me a dime to love my wife. It's fantastic. Now, you guys, you go home today, and your wife may say, receiving gifts, that's number one. Get your credit card out, man, because that's going to cost you. That's what it takes to say I love you. Then you, that's what you do. You speak her language, and that's, what, that's the way it works. Love that lasts a lifetime is based on loving and giving and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. You get it? He who has an ear, let him hear. What makes marriages strong, families strong, relationships strong, submit to one another in reverence to Christ. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this uh, important word. I ask, oh God, that you, would, that you would break through all of the clutter, all of the excuses, all of the rationalization, all of the dysfunction that happens so easily in our marriages. I pray you would go right through all of that today. And that each one of us, men and women, husbands and wives, we would see ourselves anew and afresh and that you would actually impart to us hope in knowing that, look, here is here's some practical things, some skills that I can learn to actually give to my wife, to give to my husband what they actually need to receive the love they deserve. So help me, help us, oh God, to love one another, giving ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. And the people said.